Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast. Brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast. This is BJ Lisko filling in for Craig Webb. In today's Spotlight Story, two attorneys debate Ohio's new juvenile parole bill. More than 250 people who committed serious crimes will have parole hearings by the end of next year earlier than expected. That's due to Senate Bill 256, which is a new state law that provides parole eligibility for juvenile offenders based on the amount of time they've served and what they were convicted of. But first, here are three things you should know from BeaconJournal.com. The Akron Public Schools Teachers Union is sounding the alarm about an increase in violence and other behaviors in school buildings this year that have at times injured teachers and caused significant disruptions in learning. The Akron Education Association said its Board of Trustees has passed a no-confidence resolution in the district's Office of Student Support Services. Since the beginning of the school year, multiple school buildings have experienced alarming increased rates of highly concerning student behaviors, which put both staff and other students at great risk according to the association. Though less than half of dues-paying members of the Devil Strip voted, most support saving the alternative monthly publication, according to existing board members. One of three remaining board members said the plan for the Devil Strip is to repopulate its board and push toward a sustainable strategy to salvage the publication. According to a settlement reached Monday with consumer advocates and business groups, Akron-based First Energy agreed to refund customers of its three utilities $306 million dollars after earning more than Ohio regulators intended. The average First Energy residential customer will receive around $85 over the next five years as credits on their electric bills if the settlement is approved by the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio. For more on these headlines and other stories, be sure to visit BeaconJournal.com or download the Beacon Journal app. And now for our Spotlight interview, Featuring Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith, community outreach prosecutor Tanya Namer, and legislative policy manager for the Ohio Public Defender's Office, Nicole Klum. Well, thanks uh, to uh, Tanya and Nikki today for talking to us about Senate Bill 256, and um, which uh, you know makes changes to uh, juveniles and, and their parole in Ohio. So uh, to get started, I thought maybe both of you could kind of introduce yourselves and, and tell us a little bit about your background and what you do and how long you've been doing it. So, uh, Nikki, you want to start? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to participate in this podcast with you both today. My name is Nikki Klum. I'm the Legislative Policy Manager for the Office of the Ohio Public Defender. Um, basically, I'm their, their lobbyist. I have been in that role under two different titles now for about four years. Prior to that, I was actually a prosecutor. Um, I even did juvenile prosecution very briefly for about nine months before I took the, the position with OPD. Um, and prior to that, I was 
in law school, but right out of college, I was the director of constituent action for the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation. So jumping back and forth between uh, policy work and criminal law, and then ultimately ended in a position that was policy work and criminal law. Okay. All right. And Tanya? Hi. Yes, it's great to be here with you all. And um, Nikki, I think you and I have done the opposite. So I am the community outreach prosecutor for the Summit County Prosecutor's Office. And prior to that, I was a defense attorney um, for about 13 years and then a magistrate uh, for a year and then now here at the prosecutor's office for the past year and a half. So I did kind of the opposite of you, Nikki. Um, I went from defense to prosecution. And um, it's just it's been great to have all aspects, have worked all aspects of the court. And I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Well, Nikki, can you kind of start out um, our conversation and, and tell us a little bit about um, this law and, and, and the background on it? How did it come about? Sure. So Senate Bill 256 has been effective law since April. Uh, the law provides parole eligibility to individuals who are sentenced to adult prison for crimes they committed when they were a kid. Um, the law provides parole hearings for them, so eligibility for parole after serving 18, 25, or 30 years, depending on the offense for which they were convicted. Um, it's really important to note that nothing in this law guarantees release from prison. It simply provides that opportunity to get before the parole board. The story of how this law came to be actually starts all the way back in 2010 with a series of Supreme Court cases from the U.S. Supreme Court and the Ohio Supreme Court. Since that time, Ohio law had not been compliant with those binding Supreme Court cases. So about seven years ago, the Ohio legislators started considering legislation that was similar to Senate Bill 256, the law that ultimately passed or the bill that ultimately passed. Versions of Senate Bill 256 were debated and negotiated in the legislature for six years. There was over approximately or there was approximately 20 hearings and they heard testimony from over 60 witnesses. This particular bill was debated in the legislature for about a year. Um, there was proponents um, from all realms of the criminal justice world, including judges, victims, religious leaders, released juvenile offenders, families of incarcerated juvenile offenders, former prosecutors, adolescent development experts, and legal experts. Okay, and I know your office supported the law and, and you were uh, one of the, the proponents for it. Why do you think it's a positive change? Every human being needs hope. Um, every person that's incarcerated needs needs the hope that they will see their family again. It needs the hope that they may become a contributing member of society. Without hope for release from prison, um, those people, they have no reason to participate in prison programming, get an education, participate in drug treatment, follow the rules of the prison, and basically work towards rehabilitation and redemption. Um, in those Supreme Court cases that I spoke about earlier, the courts really relied on indisputable research that shows um, that the human brain is not completely developed until a person is about in their mid-20s. Up until the brain is fully developed, kids lack judgment. They make um, impetuous decisions. They cannot fully, uh, fully appreciate long-term consequences, and their actions are more easily influenced by peers. And, um, I mean, although the research proves that, I think if you talk to any parent of a teenager, they could tell you the same things. So the courts found that the majority of children really are capable of rehabilitation, even the ones that commit very serious offenses. 
the U.S. is the only country in the world that sentences kids to die in prison. The world. So Ohio um, is with is now one of 25 states in the District of Columbia that have laws similar to Senate Bill 256. Um, 31 states in the District of Columbia do not have any kids serving life without the possibility of parole. I think Senate President Larry Abhoff or former Senate President Larry Abhoff said it really well when he spoke about 256. And he said, we are a nation that believes in redemption. So the office of the, the Ohio Public Defender supported this law because it's the right thing to do. Now, Tanya, prosecutors, uh, the State Prosecutors Association um, was opposed to this, and um, the prosecutor, prosecutors were some of the, the biggest um, opponents of the bill. Um, what are your thoughts on it and, and any concerns you have about it? Well, the, the concerns we have on it is in, in terms of constitutional law, the Supreme Court did not ban unequivocally um, life without parole sentences. They banned mandatory ones. They actually, in a lot of their discussions in their case law, they've discussed how um, the, the sentencing judge at certain times may have to issue life without parole. And, and that's that's where we see things. We see things as not everybody deserves life without parole, but there are some people who just can't be rehabilitated. And Nikki said that. She said the majority of kids, you know, with the studies, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to dispute that um, where children's brains are not um, fully formed, um, you know, perhaps there are some kids who, who can be rehabilitated, and that's not out of the question. That's definitely um, something that can be considered, but not all kids are like that. There are some people who cannot be rehabilitated and would be a danger to society. And this is why, you know, the OPAA, the Ohio Prosecuting Attorneys Association, objected to this. Um, there had to, We needed some sort of a compromise here to allow the sentencing judge to be able to um, make that decision. That's the judge who hears the evidence, who talks to the victims. Um, the victims were not really talked to through this whole process of, of passing this law. And, and quite frankly, different prosecutors' offices weren't. OPAA was there, but they were the only voice for the prosecutors when this law was being made. So we do not support this um, extreme form of this law um, because it really doesn't take the victims into consideration and the fact that, that our job as a society is to keep our community safe. And there are just some people who just can't be in our society and, and keep us safe, and, and they have to be um, spending their life in prison. So, Nikki, can you explain a little bit about how the law works? Will um, everyone who was convicted as a, a juvenile um, automatically have a parole hearing, or, or how, how does that how will that work? Yeah, so it, kind of in response um, to that, to that until the person's brain is fully developed and until they've had an opportunity to work towards rehabilitation and participate in, pr in prison programming, it's really hard to know who are those people that need to stay in prison for public safety and who are the people that can be released safely. So that's why this law is designed that that decision is is left to the parole board, because now they have the ability to look at this person who has served an extended period of time in prison, has had the opportunity to participate in all the programming in prison and decide, is this somebody who can be released safely or is this somebody that needs to stay incarcerated? So the way this works is most most juveniles whose cases are, are sent to the adult court system actually receive five years or less in prison. So they are not at all impacted by this bill. 
But for the ones who do receive these long sentences, if their parole eligibility was shorter than what is allotted in this bill. So if they got maybe parole eligibility at 15 years, that still stands. They will see the parole board at 15 years. If their parole eligibility did not start until after what is in Senate Bill 256, they will have a parole hearing at that 18, 25, or 30 years, depending on the offense in which they were convicted. The access to the parole board is automatic for those individuals, but release is not. So there's nothing in the bill that says once you get to the parole board, you get released. The parole board still does their extensive review where they look to see if this person is rehabilitated. Is this person remorseful? And is this somebody that has a reentry plan and a support system in the community that will ensure that they can reenter society safely? Um, I also do uh, take a little bit of issue with the argument that um, prosecutors were not included in this or victims were not included with this. As I said, this issue had been in the legislature for six years. This bill in particular um, for for a year itself, there was approximately 20 hearings on this, 60 individuals, over 60 individuals participated as witnesses, and some of them were victims of juvenile offenders. And even those victims, um, some victims were there opposing the bill, but some victims were there actually supporting this legislation. Um, so this legislation also doesn't exclude victims from the parole process. They have the opportunity to participate at a victim conference. They have an opportunity to object to a uh, panel hearing, a uh, decision for release, and then they have an opportunity to participate at that full board hearing. So I think victims are certainly part of this consideration and their objection to release is is seriously considered by the parole board and also forces a full board hearing from a panel hearing. So, Tanya, uh, to turn our attention to uh, the case that uh, that I looked at uh, most closely in, in the story that that I worked on um, of Clint Dickens. Um, he's one of the uh, people from Summit County who committed committed crimes as a juvenile who who have an upcoming parole hearing. What can you tell us about that case? It was a horrific case. It was a case that actually, um, when I now speak to individuals about the case many years later, um, people in the community still remember it, how horrific it was. Um, Clint Dickens and his friend Richard Cooey decided to uh, toss rocks from an overpass on 77 near Copley Road. Um, one of the rocks uh, disabled um, a woman's car. Her name was Wendy Afredo, and her friend Don McCreary were in the uh, was in the passenger side. Um, I believe they had just graduated from the University of Akron. They were sorority sisters, and they were driving um, on the highway. Um, instead of um, you know running away, uh, Cooey and Dickens decided um, to drive down um, and and kind of trick Wendy and Don um, to offer help. Um, they even took Wendy and Don to a payphone to allow them to call their family for help. And Wendy and Don had those conversations with their family. They told them, you know, where they were located and asked them to come help. Um, they even said, you know, these nice um, young boys had, had offered to help us, so we're okay. Um, and they gave them that false sense of security. Um, and instead, instead of returning them to their car, as they had indicated, um, uh, Clint Dickens and Richard Cooey instead took them to a wooded area in Norton. And they robbed them, they raped them, strangled them, and then beat them to death. Uh, officers had described the scene in the crime as, as, as horrific. Um, it, you know, it was blood everywhere. Um, they even carved X's 
in both women's stomachs. And I, I don't want to be too graphic with everything, but um, it was really a horrific crime. Um, Cooey was um, 18. Dickens was a few days from turning 18. So a matter of just a, a couple days, um, Dickens would have been 18. So Dickens, you know, was not able to be sentenced um, as an adult. He was sentenced as a juvenile, so he could not get the death penalty. Um, Cooey did get um, sentenced to the death penalty. Um, he actually was then um, uh, put to death in 2018. Um, but Dickens, just because of those few days, um, was sentenced to life in prison. And the family um, had sat in court while the judge um, had issued that that prison that life in prison sentence. And now um, he is up for parole. Um, many years earlier than what he would have ever been uh, up for parole. I think it's, um, I think he was up, supposed to be up for parole in 2071, I think. So he is eligible for parole now 50 years earlier than what the judge had sentenced him to. And the families of um, of Don McCurry and Wendy Ofredo, um, you know, what what is their reaction? What has their reaction been to, to hearing that um, Dickens is um, is going to have a parole hearing right now? It's scheduled in January. I mean, what's what's so horrible about this is, you know, like I said before, the family for these young women sat in court as the judge um sentenced him to life in prison and and how horrific this crime is and losing your daughter um, is, is hard enough. But at least, you know, sitting in jail and listening to a judge say um, you will not be eligible um, for parole um, puts a little closure to, to them for that. They, they, they said to me, like, you know, we knew that we will never completely heal from the loss um, of our daughter, but we had we had been able to put that court part aside and close the door on that because we knew we would probably never have to um, have to come back for this. And so what we had to do and what our victims advocates had to do was call them up and say, you know, you remember um, when the judge said um, life in prison? Well, it's not that um, he's up for parole right now. Um, and, and they were just, they're just devastated. They're devastated. They're, they're reopening up these wounds and the justice system isn't an easy one to go through. Um, and now they have to go back through this much earlier, um, you know, uh, 50 years earlier than, than what they had planned. So it's, it's been, um, very tough on, on all of them. And, you know, um, this is why I know that, you know, prosecutors and these victims truly were not talked to um, in this legislation because I just I just can't imagine um, anybody deciding um, to pass this legislation if they had to think about making that call and talking to that victim's family and saying, you know what, remember you heard the judge say that? Well, now you're going to have to go back through the system every five years. So, Nikki, what would you say, um, I guess, in kind of in response or on the issue of victims who out there who are being notified about parole hearings and are, and are upset that their expectation, you know, for what was going to happen with the case um, is has completely changed here? Yeah, absolutely. So first, you know, I would want to assure these individuals that they will have ample opportunity to communicate their objections to the parole board. And as I previously mentioned, you know, this law is not opening the prison door. This bill does not guarantee any particular person will be released. 
Um, there is data from Philadelphia and Michigan that shows a recidivism rate of 1% or less for individuals that was sent, that were sentenced to life in prison as kids who were then released in other states because of laws similar to Senate Bill 256. 1% or less. Compare that to the standard um, recidivism rate for people released from prison, which is 28 to 46%. Kids are different. They deserve special consideration. And the Supreme Court held that they are different and they deserve special consideration. And in 2020, they held that Ohio's law was not in compliance with binding Supreme Court case law. The Ohio Supreme Court held that in a case called State v. Patrick. So even if Ohio had not passed this law, these unconstitutional sentences that these individuals are serving in Ohio's prisons would have to be addressed. So instead of a parole hearing, these victims might have had to endure a long, strenuous resentencing hearing or maybe appeals that could take years. So these indi- individuals, um, I, we know of other in other states where they passed laws like Senate Bill 256. And we have talked to those individuals who have been released. And some of those individuals came and talked to the legislator about their experience and what they have done since they've been released. And there were individuals who came that are now parents, that are now community leaders, that are now advocates, that are now business owners, that are now members, that are now contributing members to society. And so this bill gives individuals who were kids when they were sent to adult prison a reason to hope that maybe they could do that, too, and a reason to work towards rehabilitation and a chance to show the report, the parole board that they have been redeemed. So I know that Summit County Public Defender Andrea Whitaker is actually representing Clint Dickens and his um, his uh, parole hearing coming up. But are you familiar at all with this case? And and if so, I didn't know if you'd want to talk a little bit about why why um, the public defenders think that uh, that Dickens should be considered for release. Um, I, I do not know any specifics about Mr. Dickens or about his case, um, but we do believe that every individual who was sentenced to prison as a child deserves the opportunity to go before the parole board, not to necessarily be released, but they get the opportunity to show the parole board that they have matured, that they are remorseful, that they are rehabilitated. And then if they can show that, then the parole board should seriously consider those individuals for release. Um, it is not easy to get parole from our parole board. Um, in fact, the uh, release rate for individuals at their first parole hearing um, from 2014 to 2018 was one out of 237 or 0.4%, less than a percent. So basically, it does not happen. So this is a very high standard that we're talking about that these individuals will have to show before they have any chance of being considered for release. But what OPD attorneys have seen um, from the the individuals that they represent or the individuals that they have communicated with inside Ohio prisons who were who were juveniles when they were incarcerated, as we have seen some individuals who have grown, who have matured, who have taken advantage of education and treatment opportunities, who have stayed out of trouble. We've even seen a number of individuals who have decided to use their time while incarcerated to mentor other young people that come to prison to make sure they get that get on the right path and they avoid a similar 
um, you know, outcome in their life as these people are, are, are dealing with. So those individuals deserve a chance to go before the parole board and make their case. And if the parole board finds that they are somebody who has met this high, high standard and can be released to the community safely, then we support the parole board's decision to do that. And Nikki, can you kind of explain a little bit about how the parole process works in terms of that first hearing and and then what happens after that? Absolutely. So when someone becomes eligible for parole, the parole board schedules what's called a panel hearing. Uh, Prior to that hearing, they will have what's called a family conference where they meet with the person that's incarcerated, their family and friends, and a member of the parole board speaks to them. They also have a victim conference where victims and their families can come and speak with a a member of the parole board as well. And then they go to a panel hearing and there's five or six members of the parole board who participate in that. And they ask the person that's incarcerated some questions. They ask them about their offense, their time in prison and a lot of focus on their plan for for reentry. After the hearing, the board can either continue that hearing for up to five years, so they will remain incarcerated and then come back before the board in five years or four years, whatever the board decides at that time, or they can approve them for release pending a full board. Um, if there is no opposition to the recommendation for release, the prosecutor doesn't object. The, if there's a victim, the victim doesn't object. Um, then that person does receive their release date. If there is opposition, the case goes to a full board hearing and the full parole board participates in that hearing. Victims also can participate in that hearing. Prosecutors participate in that hearing. Obviously, the parole board never wants to release somebody who is a danger to the community. And so that's why we see that they put a lot of focus on this reentry plan and to see what kind of support system this person will have when they're outside of outside of prison. Um, but, yeah, it, it's very important that victims do get to participate in all those ways. The victim conference, the um, objecting to the panel hearing recommendation for release, as well as participating at the full board. Now, Tanya, in terms of the uh, Clint Dickens case, um, I assume that your office is uh, is going to oppose his release, and um, I guess at the the proper juncture where you can weigh in, we'll be uh, weighing in against that. Absolutely, we will be opposing his release. And to turn our attention to other Summit County cases that are coming up, in which uh, people convicted as juveniles are going to have parole hearings here pretty soon, there are any of those that um, that your office also is concerned about? Uh, yeah, so um, we've identified 59 people in the state of Ohio who are eligible um, for uh, parole by the end of 2022. So that's in the state of Ohio. Um, there are approximately 250 people who have been grandfathered in by SB 256. Um, and then in Summit County right now, what we've received notice of is four cases um, by the end of this year um, that are now up for parole and, and wouldn't be up for parole. And like, what I want to clarify about um SB 256 is it, it actually eliminates the, the judge's ability um, to, to properly assess the case and the sentencing. So, so what the Supreme Court had allowed for these judges to do was to consider all factors in sentencing. Um, uh, it doesn't 
it never eliminated their ability to give somebody life without parole. It just says you have to think about how these children's minds are formed. What are the recidivism rates? SB 256 takes that all away from the sentencing judge and says you have to go into the parole board now and let the parole board make these decisions. Oh, and by the way, you can drag those victims in every five years to make them come to a hearing and have to talk about the heart, the, the horrific life incident in their, in their, in their life, um, where they lost their loved one. Um, that, that is very extreme. You know, th- there's no compromise here. It is every five years. You're right. The victims have to be heard, but they have to come back every five years and address this. And this is the, the, the serious issue here is, is now we have to have these issues. We, we have to have these hearings. And right now we have four of them coming up and there's approximately 250 of them who are being grandfathered in. So any cases, other cases out of those, uh, those in Summit County that, that you want to mention or highlight, um, besides the Dickens case that we've already covered? Yes. Um, Anthony Curry, he, uh, was convicted of aggravated murder and robbery. Um, his first hearing was in, uh, October, um, this month and, um, we did su- submit our opposition in September. Anthony Coates, who was convicted of rape, aggravated robber, kidnapping, and felonious assault. Um, his first hearing will be uh, November of this year, um, and uh, we will be opposing this. Um, also, Leroy Anderson, um, he was convicted of aggravated murder and aggravated robbery. Um, his first hearing isn't scheduled till December of, of this year. His co-defendant was executed in 2004, much like the Dickens case. Um, and uh, we are having a meeting and discussing this case to determine if we uh, will be opposing it. Um, and uh, that's what we have right now in the Dickens case, which we just talked about. Those are the cases that we received notice from the parole board about. Um, one thing, Nikki, that I wanted to, to ask about real quick, just to make sure that everyone understands how the law works there are some uh, very well-known cases um, from our area and obviously statewide in which people received life sentences uh, for crimes they committed as juveniles. I'm thinking, for example, of uh, Brogan Rafferty uh, from Summit County, who was a juvenile accomplice of um, Richard Beasley, who we uh, call the Craigslist killer because um, he and his accomplice lured people to um, where they were robbed and killed. Um, now, he... Um, has, as I understand it right now, not served enough time to be eligible for parole. So with cases like that, as soon as he has served enough time, is that when he'll he'll come up for a parole hearing? Yes. So it's it's dependent on how long they have they have been um, incarcerated before they get that parole hearing. I, I do want to disagree with the point that Tanya made about uh, taking discretion away from judges. There, there's nothing in this law that says a judge can't give a legal sentence at, at sentencing. So there's nothing in this law that says a judge can't give 120 years in prison. Um, there is Ohio Supreme Court case law that says judges can't give 120 years for non-homicide offenses. But if we're talking about a homicide, there's nothing in this bill that says that. There's nothing in this bill that says a, a person that was a juvenile when they committed their offense cannot spend the rest of their life in prison. And in fact, a judge can sentence them to 120 years. And if the parole board never finds them to be a good candidate for release, they will spend the rest of their life in prison. They will. They will not be released. 
And and the parole board does consider the nature of the offense. Many people are denied parole because of the nature of their offense. So there are people um, who who will who may have committed horrific crimes as juveniles who will spend the rest of their life in prison despite this law. And I would also say to the argument that this law is kind of an extreme or a misstep, um, as I mentioned, Ohio is the 25th state to actually pass a law like this. And Ohio's is actually it's similar to what was passed by Arkansas, but it is significantly more conservative than some of than what some other states have passed. Other states have had parole eligibility after 15 years or um, after 20 years. O- Ohio, over those six years that this issue was debated in the legislature, um, we it really this this idea really went through a lot of debate, considering victims, considering the objections from prosecutors. And that was how this law passed arriving at the 18, 25 and 30 years, really trying to consider and be um, cognizant of the the trauma that victims have suffered and how this this process will impact them, but at the same time, bringing Ohio law into compliance with the U.S. Supreme Court case law and also bringing Ohio to a place where we want to be, where we want to be a state that believes in redemption. So, Tanya, I want to allow you to respond to that and then also talk about whether um, your office thinks that, uh, you know, that Senate Bill 256 should um, be repealed or amended or, or if changes are, are needed uh, needed to that uh, going forward. So in response to that, um, yes, a judge can sentence someone to 120 years in prison, but no matter what, that person will be up for parole either in 30, 25, or 18 years. So that person is going to um, have the eligibility to be released um, much quicker than he, he normally would have been. So you're taking that 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 ability for the judge who's listening to the case, who's hearing the victims, who's seeing the evidence to actually really sentence them because they might sentence them for 120 years, but the parole board could release them in 18 years. So it really takes away that, um, that, that ability to have checks and balances, to have more than one um, agency or entity um, sentencing a person and the ability to, to, to look at their ability um, um, uh, to rehabilitate themselves. Um, you know, if you had a judge and you also had the parole board, wouldn't we have much more of an effective system? But we don't have that anymore. And that's why this rule is so absolute. Yes, the prosecutor's office would love to have this repealed. I don't know that that's practical and that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, if we had our ideal choices, we'd like to repeal that. If that doesn't happen, um, you know, a minimum of 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 of, of edit, amending this um, law to just take away um, the fact that they're grandfathering in these sentences from previous cases, um, just like we have with the Dickens case, where we have to call these families and say, remember it was life without parole? Well, we changed our minds. Um, your legislators are now saying he could be released. He could be released, and you have to fight that every five years. That's a huge problem. I just can't fathom that our legislators actually thought about this, making that call when they passed this law. I just can't. And and so what we could change is not grandfathering these in. And and I know that there was talk that they're constitutionally required to. They are not required to grandfather these in. Um, the other thing is they could increase the amount of five years. Why drag these families in every five years to fight and defend um, their family member who was 
brutally killed or raped. I mean, these people, these 200, I think it's 250 people who are being grandfathered in, they're in jail this long because they committed heinous crimes. They, they, their ability for rehabilitation is very minimal. Um, and, and you're going to drag the family members in every five years to have to defend that. They can't just sit back and, and know that this person who murdered their child could be out in the community. They're going to have to step up and they're going to have to do it every five years. So, you know, you know, in summary, we want it repealed. But if we can't have that, you know, amend the grandfathering in and allowing these 250 individuals um, to be up for parole when we told their families they wouldn't be. And at, at a minimum, increase that five years of reconsideration. And I know prosecutors don't say that. What we are saying is people can be rehabilitated. I agree with you on that. Um, there's no problem giving someone that chance to be rehabilitated. And quite frankly, if you rehabilitate someone, that's safer for our community. Um, you know, the costs and expense of jail and so forth, you know, that's not ideal. If we can put someone in the community to be safe, um, then that, that's great. That's a win-win for everyone. But to have to rethink this every five years and, and drag our family members through this and our victims through this every five years, well, you know, that's a crime, <laughs> quite frankly. You know, that's that's horrible. Um, and, and I just I, I think that we can that's the other thing that we can we can amend there is, is increase that, increase those years there, um, give these victims um, a little peace um, without having to drag them through this justice system. So, Nikki, what are your thoughts on, on the five-year um, maximum um, time between parole hearings? That's half of the 10-year maximum for an adult cases. So what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that and, and why that's uh, part of this law and is a good idea? So first, in a case called Montgomery, the U.S. Supreme Court actually did rule that their previous decisions were retroactive and that only the rarest of the rare child, those who are permanently incorrigible was the term they should use, um, can serve life without the possibility of parole. And all others need a meaningful opportunity for release. Um, So to the point that this law should not be retroactive, uh, the Ohio or the U.S. Supreme Court has applied this retroactively. And for these individuals um, where that finding was not made, there there was potential for more litigation. There was potential that they would go back for a resentencing case. And that's why we saw in that Patrick case in, in 2020, the, U, the Ohio Supreme Court saying Ohio law is not complying with this. So there was always um, the potential that these cases were going to be back and these victims might have to go through a resentencing hearing. Also, to the point about the five years versus the 10 years, kids are different. Um, they're, they actually are very uh, better at rehabilitation than, than adults are. And the data bears that out. And that's why the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court and the Ohio Supreme Court started down this line of making these decisions, showing that kids are different and showing that kids deserve special consideration because they are quite good at rehabilitation, actually. And we saw that with individuals from other states who committed horrific crimes. Some of them were involved in gangs. Some of them had um, potentially multiple victims, but they were rehabilitated so much so now that they were using their opportunity for release to come and advocate for other kids. Um, there's an individual who works for the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth who is by far a model citizen. He has met presidents and uh, the U.S. Attorney General and stuff because he is such an example of the kind of rehabilitation that kids are actually capable of. 
And that is why it's so important that we review them every five years. Additionally, the parole board has very low rates of release. Uh, from 2014 to 16, they had a release rate of 7.5%. So if we're not reviewing kids except for every 10 years, they are going from maybe age 35 to 45 to 55 to 65. That is not a meaningful opportunity for release, especially when we know that the average lifespan in prison is somewhere into the late 50s or early 60s, depending on um, the race of the individual. So these people, the U.S. Supreme Court has said these individuals are entitled to a meaningful opportunity for release. And that is review every five years. That is not review at 10 years. That is not a meaningful opportunity for release. And they are capable of great rehabilitation. And if they have not achieved that, if they have not met that high standard, they will not be released. The parole board is very good at denying release. No one is saying that some of the crimes these kids committed were not horrific. And no one is saying that the pain that these victims have felt is not real or that it's not unthinkable. But at the end of the day, we are talking about children. We are talking about kids. The U.S. is the only country in the world that sentences kids to die in prison. And that's for good reason, because it's wrong. Tanya, any uh, final thoughts from you on on this topic or, um, I guess, extra things you want to bring up? I mean, I think that we could say that that we both agree that these crimes are are, are horrific. I think we could say that we both agree, um, you know, that the victims have been harmed here, um, that and that we both agree that that children can be rehabilitated. You know, these are the things where we see eye to eye here. Um, the reason why I keep saying that, you know, SB two fifty six is extreme because. The U.S. Supreme Court did not require that all states apply these laws retroactively. There's no requirement to make our legislators say, oh, you need to go back and all these all these people who are sentenced to life in prison um, need to be um, applied retroactively and be up for parole right now. That There's no legal requirement for that for the state of Ohio to pass that. That is something that they can have. They could have mitigated. They could have helped our victims, our victims, families and our community um, who, who really struggles with this. You know, it's not just the victim's family who lost someone. Um, our community really remembers these crimes. Like like I said, you know, I'll go on speaking engagements and speak to the community about, um, for instance, Dickens, which I've been doing a lot lately because he's going to be up for parole. And people remember it. They'll remember, you know, what highway it was on. They'll remember the two young girls. They're, they'll say, oh, are they sorority sisters? Oh, I remember that horrible crime. Our community suffers when these crimes happen, and our community suffers if we allow somebody the ability um, to come out into the community when they're not ready. So, yes, we agree that children could be rehabilitated, but, you know, did we say that they are speedy rehabilitation? Did we say that science shows that they rehabilitate, you know, ten times faster than an adult? Five years is, is not enough time to really determine if somebody is rehabilitated. Five years is what five years is, is, is a harm to the victims who have to keep coming back and, and defending um, their safety and the safety of their loved ones who were lost. Um, in all the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court cases, the justices have stated that there are some appropriate times to sentence a juvenile to life without parole. There are some. We can't make blanket statements and just say, well, everyone's going to rehabilitate or everyone has that ability. Um, it's not like that. Not everyone does. Um, we hope that they do. 
we hope that people can rehabilitate it, but it's, it's not concrete like that. Um, not all juveniles deserve the ability um, to be released, and not all victims should have to come back every five years defending that. All right, Nikki, want to give you the opportunity, any last thoughts that you want to share with us or things you want to bring up? How do we know who can be rehabilitated until we look at them after they've had the opportunity? You you said you hope that they can be, but if we throw them away when they're 16, we never give them the chance. They they won't even work towards rehabilitation. What's the point? They're going to die in prison. Why would they even take the class about trying to understand their victim better? We don't know who can be rehabilitated until we look at them after their brain is fully developed. And to your point, there actually is research that says children can be rehabilitated faster because of the brain maturing in the mid-20s. So actually, yes, they can be rehabilitated faster. They actually are better at rehabilitation than adults. That actually is proven out in the research, and the courts have said that and found that to be true. We don't know who can be rehabilitated until we look at them and see if they have been rehabilitated. We don't know who they can become and what they can accomplish until we give them the chance. And if we throw them away when they're 16, they don't have the chance and they never will. And now we have just wasted too many lives. Well, thank you both very much. I think this has been a really interesting um, discussion that we've had. And and I really appreciate both of you uh, taking time to talk to us today about this. And uh, thanks very much. That's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you download podcasts from or stream episodes at beaconjournal.com. Episodes are released every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. And until next week, Now You Know Akron. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.